You're listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And welcome back to Screening in Kingston, our first post-Halloween Screening in Kingston episode. We should say it's our first Christmas episode, considering how people treat the holidays these days. That's true. We're now immediately into Christmas talk, and every episode from now on will be Christmas and holiday themed. Just kidding. (laughs) No, it won't be. Well, I just, I feel like for us, maybe this is just a you and me and this show thing, that Halloween is such a, um, it's almost like one of the focus points of the year. Like we get to our Halloween episode. And then we we get to all of our specials in November, and it it just feels like we've we're now starting. It's almost like this is you know the next chapter of screening in Kingston begins today. It's it's like it is like we're starting a new season. Yeah, but, that's what it feels like. Halloween's such a an end point, but I don't know. I think that's just us. <laughs> we're more. I would say. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm definitely more of a Halloween person than Christmas. So like our Halloween episode is like our big episode. You know, I I don't mind the holidays, but I definitely think in terms of of this show and in terms of talking about movies, the fall and and Halloween, I think I have more movie watching energy than I do when when December and even January hits. You know, the winter blues come around and even though that's the best time to like watch a movie, I just feel like I watch my comfort things during yeah. that time. Now I'm still like, give me new things. Like, let me watch. We hibernate. We hibernate in the winter. But this is a big episode too. We are following Mm -hmm. one big episode with another big episode. Well, and again, what this is the best episode to to kick off our next season, I guess, as we're calling it, um, as we are going to be chatting soon with two fantastic filmmakers. Um, We've got Mark Starwitz and Caitlin Starwitz. Father-daughter team. Which is amazing. I mean, they're a directing duo that are going to be bringing a documentary to us. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Um, We'll talk and discuss that documentary. But yeah, you're right. This is a big episode because it's great to chat with two filmmakers who have some experience making films both in and out of a pandemic. Yeah, I know our listeners are going to be pretty excited about this because they're always asking us, you know, how film is changing, how it's evolving. And I always say we don't have a crystal ball. But in this episode, we kind of do have a crystal ball. Or we at get least, some insider information. Yeah, we're getting, we are, our finger is on the pulse in terms of film making news <laughs> in a sense. So I think yeah, yeah. our listeners are really going to enjoy kind of the behind the scenes of how um, things are being made due to COVID because I don't want to give too much away, but they do talk about how they started making this this documentary pre-COVID and then finished it in the middle of COVID. Yeah. So we get to we get to hear a little bit of how their filmmaking techniques had to shift. So I think that's going to be a big draw today. And yeah, you're right about how it's so fitting. It, it's so suited to what our, all of our discussions have been all summer. Um, you and I have been talking on the show a lot about, you know, here are the changes in the film industry. Here are the things that are being pushed back, but, and, and questioning and wondering, and you, you mentioned that and I, I completely forgot till now fans have written in asking what, how, how are filmmakers doing this right now? And we haven't been able to have an answer. 
they've been like, um, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And today, and and today we can tell them. <laughs> yeah, we can tell them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we're going to uh, be talking to them in just a few minutes. Um, we're also going to review the, the documentary that we had a chance to to watch called Rebellion, um, which, as we said, is directed uh, by Mark and Caitlin. And then after that, we'll chat a little bit about our upcoming uh, movie club as we continue to uh, to kind of deal with the pandemic and, and figure out way things that we can do on the show. We're doing another movie club in November. So at the end of the episode, we'll review that for everybody. Cool. So joining us now are the filmmakers behind Rebellion documentary debuting this Friday, November 6th on the 60th season premiere of The Nature of Things on CBC and available on the CBC Gem app. We've got Mark Starwitz and Caitlin Starwood. Welcome to Screening in Kingston, Mark and Caitlin. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, thank you for having us. Oh, thank you both for being here. We're really excited to, to chat with you um, about your documentary, which is coming up this Friday. Rebellion is going to kick off the 60th season of The Nature of Things on CBC, available on CBC Gem app as well. Um, before we get into the doc itself, we were just hoping you both might uh, introduce yourselves to our audience and just tell us a little bit about your past in film. What have, what have you been working on? What's some of the things that you've done? Well, I'll, I'll start being the oldest. Uh, I, um, I, I began in journalism uh, in Montreal, a newspaper man, then I joined CBC Radio in the 1970s and then went to television where I worked in current affairs and then I eventually became head of documentaries for CBC television. Uh, I've done a few documentaries and, mm. uh, and uh, the last three have been together with uh, Caitlin, who's uh, my daughter. Oh, fun. Yeah. So I came through, came to documentaries very honestly because I grew up with it all around me. Um, the first documentary I ever worked on, I was eight years old, uh, where I went with my dad to Borneo and we were making a film about orangutans and Bruti Galdicus, the first person to ever study orangutans in the wild. And I was carrying water bottles for the crew. So that was my first job at eight years old. <laughs> oh. Was, that, was, that legal? was it legal, an eight-year-old? Well, I must say they didn't pay me, so. <laughs> <laughs> Volunteer work. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. but since then, I mean, I moved to L.A. I worked there for eight years, and I've been so lucky to come back home, and we have, my, my dad and I have made three films together, and uh, it's, it's a great working relationship. I'm, I'm really, really pleased with uh, our dynamic. It must be really fantastic i mean I, I guess this is mainly for you caitlin because you're with your dad having such a, a a rich history of experience it must be fantastic to not only learn from someone who has such great history and background but also the fact that he's your father and you can probably have that really close working relationship anyway like how has that experience been like working with with you know you turn and it's a member of your family there as, as this director you can look up to how how has it been learning from him Oh, great question. Um, I mean, obviously, I've grown up um, just with so much respect for my dad. That's why I went into the same profession. Uh, but it's so mm -hmm. uh, special to be able to have a working relationship where you know that the other person has your back just without a doubt, 100% wants the best things for you and uh, just wants to work together. And of course, we, we have our, our little disagreements uh, about things, but it always comes out because we always want uh, the best thing for the film and for the best thing for each other, too. So that's been a, a very big blessing for me. Yeah, it's been very special. Uh, the uh, 
we sort of complete each other's sentences. Uh, yeah, we do argue now and then, but basically, you know, somebody types up a draft of a section of script, passes it to the other, and then back, back and forth and vice versa. And of course, it's, it's not just the two of us, it's the editor and the camera operator uh, and everything else. The wonderful thing about documentary, it's, it's almost like a, a theater group. It's, it's, it's collegial, it's multiple people, multiple talents, audio engineers and sound effects specialists and archivists and business mm -hmm. people. It's just terrific. Uh, it was especially hard to do during this pandemic because uh, we met our editor, whom we edited a film before with, Carol Larson. She's wonderful. But we saw her for the first time in a year, last Saturday. Oh, wow. Everything else has been like we're talking right now, in different places. And it's not easy to make a film where absolutely every mm -hmm. member of the orchestra or the theater group, quote unquote, is in a different place. I think that's a really fantastic perspective to kind of give us is how things have been changing in really every industry, but in, in film and creating a documentary, I love that comparison to, to the theater group and, and talking about all the different pieces and how, how strange it's been for all of you to, to be separate. Um, have, has you found, have you found that that's changed or slowed down the process in any way? Like have, have you found that there are things that are taking more time just because of the nature of, not being able to be in the same room and communicate in the same way? Well, yes. Uh, the, uh, hmm. We haven't left Canada uh, for months. Uh, most of the uh, stuff filmed in the summer and, uh, and after the, uh, the Black Lives Matter were all done by uh, double ending. Uh, are asking the questions here with a foreign film crew or a domestic film crew at right. the other end because uh, you can't cross the border. Uh, so uh, that that slows things down, raises expenses. Um, but you know, we've we've got a good team. Caitlin, what do you think? Well, I mean, definitely, of course, there's been so many challenges because film is a collaborative medium. The whole joy of it is working with other people, is pooling ideas, is brainstorming. But I was kind of reflecting on that, and there have been some positive aspects to it, in that mm. it allows each person to bring a more finished idea to the table. So for example, Mark will give me a whole chunk of script rather than us writing it together. Or Carol, our editor, would edit something for me and say, or and for Mark and say, what do you think? Rather than us all doing it together. And it's made a very beautiful kind of uh, symbiosis that has made a different kind of film that I think uh, really works well because the film is about uh, a panoply of voices. And I think that is reflected in the means of production. So uh, there are some positive aspects to it. Um, as one of the two people um, who just recently watched both of your work, because Taylor and I got a chance to, to see it, um, I can say that, that it definitely comes through very well. Um, that the voice is very clear in this doc. And I feel like there's a lot of great creative energy behind this. I, I just want to say I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching it, though. So kudos to both of you, oh, you. Um, for, for being able to put together something fantastic um, in the middle of everything going on. Thank you. It didn't feel disjointed or anything. Like, you wouldn't have known it was a COVID documentary. It felt, um, which I think is a testament to how well your team works together. You wouldn't know that, you know, that one crew started something and then another crew finished it and that the editor was um, away. I will just say a little aside, not so much about um, 
making the documentary, it was almost surreal seeing footage pre-COVID with no one wearing masks. And shocking when when Doc showed those moments. Um, again, I, I I just said before we started that I wasn't going to give a lot away, but I just I really have to say the imagery um, that both of you were able to to put into this, where you you're just what Taylor's saying, the pre-COVID moments, yeah. but then seeing the post-COVID moments and the during-COVID moments, very impactful, very powerful. Thank you. Uh, everybody was learning as they were going. Like for example. Uh, some of the interviews in there, they look like we're there, um, were intensely complicated to set up. The uh, a, a freelance cameraman or a, a sound person in Washington, they're six feet away, uh, so the lens setting has to be different. Uh, my face or Caitlin's face is on a computer that's 10 feet away, and the person's answering the computer. We're at the other end at a, at a farm in Peterborough which we own, uh, and, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, and, and all of the uh, equipment, the lavalier microphones, everything had to be sterilized in the release form. It, it was, the logistics were, right. but we didn't want to just do computer interviews, you know. We, we wanted the same quality uh, that was in the, the parts we had shot before, before the pandemic. Basically, we got about 60% of the documentary film before the pandemic. Uh, but it was surreal, uh, you know, Michael and, and Taylor, that we got back from India at the end of February. Uh, there are scenes in the documentary, interviews in the documentary that are filmed in India, uh, which we filmed in person, because uh, we didn't want this just to be all Europe and all North America. We wanted to have a global perspective on it. And, uh, and we got back, and two weeks later, the city was shut down. Toronto was shut down. And, you know, Caitlin and I, we live in separate apartments, about 15 minutes away from each other. And we'd be writing the voiceover for a scene that has 500,000 people, like the Montreal demonstration. But you're looking out the window at the street no man's in front land. of you, and nothing's moving. And so you sort of think, wow, where's this? What's going to happen? So, Right. But this documentary, is it gonna is the climate movement dead, stopped in its tracks, like Earth Day was effectively muffled? Uh, or is this movement going to take an extraordinary turn? And you know, and that pivots sort of main theme of the documentary, which I hear you you don't want to spoil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if I could just tag on to that, um, back to the meta question. Um it was very important for us to show uh, just the, the number of people that, I mean, it is eerie to see people in the streets not wearing masks, but it was important for us to show people being empowered. because so we didn't want to make another film that was just about, it's too late, everything is terrible. We wanted to show right. that people have power and people can make change. And so it was very important for us to show, for every viewer that watches it in some remote part of Canada, that there are people all over the world we're believing the same thing and demanding change. So yeah. that was very important for us in the making of the film. Well, and I think it, it not only comes through very, very well. I, I was very intrigued and excited, not not too surprised, but but still very excited to see how many young voices you had um, throughout this entire uh, documentary. I mean, voices of all ages, but there's so many young leaders and activists that, that are at the 
heart of some of these movements across the world. Could, could you maybe speak to, to that and why either of you think that this generation has been so captivated by the, by the climate movement? Because we're all noticing there's a lot of young activists out there. Well, I'll, I'll, let me get a preamble and let Caitlin answer most of the questions. I mean, I'm 74 years old. Uh, Caitlin's in her 30. Uh, so I'm a veteran of the student power movement in Montreal, the anti-Vietnam War movement. Uh, the civil mm-hmm. rights movement, the, uh, the French language rights movement. Uh, and so in my era, the demonstrations were for uh, women's liberation, uh, anti-Vietnam War, uh, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. Uh, and uh, I haven't had this feeling. When I s- stood with Caitlin and David Suzuki in Montreal in the middle of that demonstration a year ago, September, I turned to Caitlin and I said, this is what it felt like. And I haven't had, this is what it felt like to be right where history is pointing. I mean, an ocean of people around you. And like you say, uh, the the range of voices, uh, especially young voices and and, and, and the multiplicity of ages, it was intoxicating. And I hadn't had that feeling since 1968, 62. That's why I'm persuaded that we're in a moment of transformational change because I remember, as an old goat, the, uh, the transformational change that was represented by the late 60s and early 70s. Caitlin, on the other hand, is a different generation, and I think the film reflects two generational sensibilities, so I'll pass it to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was so inspiring for me because I have grown up as a millennial with so many people saying, oh, you're so apathetic. What has your generation done? Oh, just kind of... Uh, writing it off right and to <laughs> yeah. see all these young people come together and also gen gen z coming together saying like no we're not apathetic we care about the planet and we are angry with what you have left us that we have a human right to a livable planet and that is not what's being left to us anymore and this coming together especially followed following uh, greta who is a young differently abled woman like three things that are terrifying to uh, the status quo, that we can come behind uh, young people that are saying, hey, just listen to the scientists. It's not that radical. All they're saying is listen to the professionals who are saying we have 12 years before the biosphere collapses. And that is terrifying. And it, it, uh, it gave me a sense of camaraderie that I could see all these people saying, yeah, we're mad too. And you know what? We want systematic change and we want it now. And we really didn't want to make a film that was uh, finger-wagging and depressing. Uh, I mean, all the facts are in there, but basically, uh, because we were so bowled over by the energy and the hope and the determination, the courage, really, of these, uh, and you see in the film from the capitals of the world, um, we wanted to make a film that, you know, we're all alone in our separate solitudes now in the middle of this pandemic and uh, and everything, that uh, that there is something hopeful going on and something of titanic scale. So we wanted it to be, as Caitlin says, empowering. So it's not a depressing documentary. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I mean, I don't know, Taylor, how you felt, but I came out of it with a sense of hope. Um, I would say I'm a little bit more maybe pessimistic than Mike um, in general. Um, <laughs> I am just at the end of my 20s, so similar age to some of these activists, maybe a little bit older. 
Um, I am heartened by how passionate the young people are, uh, even though I, I would consider myself also young still. Um, but, you know, we are on the cusp of a really important election. Um, when this airs, it will be election night. So I, I'm going to be um, holding my breath for now just to see how things are going to unfold in the next couple weeks. But the people that have, were portrayed in the documentary, they certainly um, are on fire. And I think that's what we need. And it did um, sort of raise kind of what, what you both were just speaking about, kind of how the facts are in the documentary. It did make me think a little bit about um, or question, has the climate movement become mainstream? So one of the one of the groups that you follow is the sun, Sunrise Sunshine Movement? Sunshine Movement? Sunrise. Sunrise. Yeah, sorry. Sunrise Movement. Yes. And um, that movement was actually also um, covered in the recent season of Queer Eye. I don't know if either of you. Um, yeah, so, and, and I would say that, um, you know, CBC and um, Netflix, these are sort of mainstream media platforms. So, um, and yet, even though these are kind of mainstream platforms that are showing the climate movement, we still are, uh, climate crisis, sorry, we're still seeing this fake news stuff, right? So that's kind of my question is, or not even a question, but just something that I was really struck while watching the documentary is that we have these what I would say mainstream voices who have accepted the fact that we are in a climate crisis. And yet there's still this very vocal opposition that's saying it's fake. It's not real. And now we're having a pivotal election in the United States where we're seeing these two um, combative voices essentially. And that, I guess that's what makes me not hopeful is just that I see such a divide. Um, Whereas I think everyone that's, you know, the group of us, the four of us discussing right now say, yep, climate, it's a climate crisis. We know that. And yet we could go to a, a next door neighbor and they could say, nope, I don't believe it. It's a hoax. It's fake news. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll see to Caitlin in a second, but I mean, it, one of the people featured in the documentary, I don't even want to say anything, is Dale Bradbrook, who is a co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, which has a thousand branches around the world. And they're the they're the people that shut down the city of London uh, over the course of the last two years. Uh, everybody in the documentary essentially agrees that we're at a tipping point. Most of them are optimistic. But she says, we are at a tipping point. I think it's a generational tipping point myself. Uh, but she's not certain which way it's tipping. It, it could give birth to something new, a new paradigm, or it could collapse into, into disorder. I don't mean the movement, but the society. And so I know the feeling you're talking about, Taylor. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've been watching CNN most of the afternoon, and that gets pretty depressing. Uh, yeah. So things could go either way. I think it's absolutely terrifying in many ways. Um, uh, the fact that we are asking candidates in the election if they believe in climate change uh, and not if we understand it. I mean, it's, it's not the Easter Bunny. It's science. There are leading world scientists telling us we need to act right now. And the fact that people still ask me when I say I'm making a film about climate change, they say, oh, 
so are you showing both sides of the argument? And I'm like, no, it's, it's not an argument. It's, it's scientific. It's facts. Yeah. It's frightening. I mean, we're at a very scary port, point uh, where people don't, yeah. uh, don't believe in science anymore. Uh, and I mean, if anything we have seen in the pandemic is that we need to believe in scientists. Uh, they're not a hoax. It's real. And it's happening now. Well, that's why I was so encouraged to see oceans of young people, literally a generational tide. That's why I made the analogy to the 60s. I think we're going to a simple movement. So, I mean, it may not work out in time for this election. I think it will. But, I mean, I think there is such profound positive change. I think right. we that uh, I think I hope the documentary carries this uh, the sense of hope and, uh, and imminent change. And a small note on that is a big reason for hope for me is that there's a lot of new voters who are eligible this year. And those are young people who are woke and who understand that this is real and want change. Yeah. And th they are going to bring that change. And I believe in young people and I believe that they're yeah. going to go to the polls and they're going to vote responsibly. That's a really great point that you bring just about new young voters coming to the table. I mean, I, we'll leave you both with this. I mean, just, just to kind of, kind of finish off this particular topic is I, I really believe, and I know Taylor believes this as well. And it's something we've talked about on our show a lot is that film, these medias have the possibility of creating conversations of making you think of presenting points and getting to everybody, getting to people who might not normally want to talk about political issues or societal issues. Film can open up the opportunities to talk with your friends and your family about a film that you saw and if, if it inspires you, you can discuss what the ins and outs of it. This film, Rebellion, to me, brings up so many fantastic points. Even if you're someone who's like, well, I don't know about the whole climate thing, you're seeing such great, diverse voices, a wide range of thoughts. And I just wanted to maybe just for final thoughts from both of you, get a sense on, on what it was like to speak to so many fantastic people who all have different voices, but are all saying the same thing. Well, I found it, I, very simply, I found it enormously empowering. I mean, I, I had, frankly, uh, been kind of depressed, you know, uh, about the state of things. And to be in those demonstrations to meet those young people, God, they're 16, 17, and they're uh, so on top of things that I just found it liberating, encouraging, redeeming, uh, which I hope comes through. Caitlin? Yes, I, I echo that sentiment. Just to talk to young people and hear that passion and that outrage that they care about the future, that they care about the next generation. They don't care about the bottom line. They care about the planet. And to hear people that are 12, 13, so young, that are so just woke and just really passionate about things gives me such hope for the future that um, it's not all bleak. Uh, young people have power. Young people have agency and young people can make change. Uh, Caitlin, Mark, I want to thank you both for being here. Um, really fantastic to hear from you. Um, I do think your film does a lot of the things that you want it to. Um, I think it's a powerful message and I hope that uh, our listeners will will tune in as we continue to uh, plug it throughout the show today. But thank you both for, for being here. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Taylor. 
And that were the directors, Mark Starwitz and Caitlin Starwitz. Their latest documentary, Rebellion, will be the debut episode on a nature of things, celebrating its 60th season. You can catch Rebellion this Friday, November 6th at 9 p.m. on CBC, as well as the CBC Gem app, which our listeners will be familiar with because we like to use it for movie clubs. And we'll be using it this movie club. Mm -hmm. So get a little practice in. Um, it was really a great discussion. I'm glad that we had a chance to to sit down with uh, Caitlin and Mark to talk about their filmmaking experience. But why don't you and I uh, dive into what we thought of the documentary itself? We They were generous and gave us an opportunity to uh, watch it first. But we kind of got some before the debut happens. We've got a little bit of insight. So why don't we give our thoughts um, just overall about the film and, and dive into it? Taylor, why don't you go first? Um, I certainly found it interesting i don't have a lot of experience with the nature of things um and i kind of when you when you told me that we were doing this i kind of thought okay it's a it's a one-off documentary part of a series but the nature of things i guess is um david suzuki's Mm -hmm. so that was that was a pleasant surprise when the, yeah. the documentary started and i saw david suzuki so um it was um, not what I expected. It's nice walking into things and not having sort of a frame of reference sometimes. Like in a way, I liked that I didn't have any background information. Yeah. But even without being a regular viewer of that documentary series, um, I felt like they gave me everything I needed in order to enter into the story. You and know what I mean? You, don't you think that considering that because you're you're dealing with a, a show and a program that's obviously going to have commercials that is going to be, you know, an hour long, which means your documentary is going to be, what, 45 minutes? Um, they did a great job of getting a lot of information across in what was a short period of time. Yeah, like it was a very tight, um, what would have been an hour, right? Like if we were watching it on CBC cable, there would have been, it would have been an hour. Um, no. For us, like you mentioned, um, with the streamer um uh and no i would have well i guess if you watch on the cbc gem you'll also get commercials but um essentially it felt like yes it was tight but it covered what it needed to cover it did what it needed to do in the 45 minutes yeah um I think, I think takes to me again we always talk about this show you know when, really, I was going to say, when, when things go wrong, you and I are always like, okay, this is who you blame for this. Yeah. This is a thing where I think you give credit to the directors. You give credit to the editing team because they made everything work within the time limit that they had. Yeah, it is. Um, in a way, I wish we could have talked more about kind of the... Um, the nature of things as a series. Like, it's. I would have loved to know so... Do they get to pick the topic that they cover? Like, how are the stories chosen? Right. Um, we just obviously, you know, the fact that our show isn't uh, in itself is also only an hour. You know, you can only cover so much. But um, yeah, it was impressive what they they did in the amount of time that they had. And overall, I I was left not wanting more in a negative way that it was like they were like because I agree with you what they said was enough information, the right information and came across very clearly. I, I was left going, okay, like I can't believe that it's over. 
Like it's been 45 minutes already. Like I, it's one of those documentaries that for me works so well because I don't know that it, that I'm getting information given to me. Um, and even they mentioned, you know, they, they don't want to, they don't want things to come off as just an information dump or to be preaching to anybody. I never felt that about this at all. I, I thought it was no. very genuine. I didn't, I didn't get the sense that um, it was preachy. I liked that Caitlin had mentioned, um, I, I think it was in the the part of the, the interview when she said, you know, um, she might've mentioned how they weren't trying to come off as preachy, but essentially she, she said they're, you know, they're presenting facts. And that right. one um, argument might be, oh, well, you weren't presenting two sides of the debate. And I really liked that she said, well, it's not a debate. There isn't two mm-hmm. sides. Yeah. Like, we are in a climate, a climate crisis. And I think that that is true. Like, um, and it reminded me of when we had um, one of the listeners wrote in about the masks, right? Yeah. Saying, Taylor, why are you giving airtime to this debate? And, but it's not a debate. Yeah. Science says um, that the masks work and, you know, science is saying that we are in a climate crisis. So, again, it with it being an hour, um, I'm so glad that they didn't give space. Um, I mean, they, they acknowledged the fact that there are people that don't believe in climate change, um, but they didn't give them kind of space to tout off their ideas. I loved the... Um, and I apologize, I don't remember the name of the gentleman. He was one of the gentlemen that occupied Chase Bank. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he his comment was, um, Donald Trump says that the climate crisis is a Chinese conspiracy. Um, and he said, you know, if someone was muttering that beside you on a bus, you would get up and change seats. And yet <laughs> yeah. the president of the United States is saying that and people believe him, right? So I, um, yeah, I thought they did a really great job of presenting the facts of the situation, being like, yeah, we're in a climate change. Yes, people people don't believe we're in a climate change, but that doesn't make it that it's not true. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, no, I thought that was very powerful. You're absolutely right. And I think what you said is absolutely right. You, you're. I'm glad, too, that they didn't give too much time to quote unquote the other side of the argument when there isn't one, but they addressed it. They, yes, it's out there, but this is what scientists are saying. And and I, I agree. I thought like what I was, you know, one of the things I was trying to, to get across uh, not so eloquently in the interview was that um, film has this power to create these conversations and make things clear. And I thought they did that very well. They made it clear. There was no question as someone watching it, that, the, that this was fiction that this was fake news. Like I thought they presented their argument very well. They made their point very well. And the documentary did everything it was supposed to do. Um, here, here's, the, here's what's going on with climate change. Here are the young people. Here are the interviews. Here, here's what they're trying to accomplish. And I just, I just loved the progression. We don't want to get into too many spoilers here um, about, about the, the actual docs. We want people to go watch it, but the progression of what climate change rallies and what supporting the climate change sort of movement meant before the pandemic and it meant during and after is was really powerful to me seeing the innovative approaches seeing the different things that had to be done when you were talking about rallies of of thousands of people 
and you just couldn't do that um, once the once the pandemic hit. So I I just I thought that the way they were telling the story and and the the flow of this documentary and, and those moments that that tonal shift the very well done tonal shift from look at all the energy we have at these rallies to there's a pandemic how do we keep these in the in the how mind? do we keep the momentum yes exactly yeah. There was one, I, I know I had just said, oh, it was a, a tight 45, like they covered everything that they needed to cover. There was one aspect that I wish that I could watch a whole other documentary about. Um, and that was the fact that the media has been complicit in essentially silencing um, climate journalists, like uh, our... Um, uh, like environmental journalism, how, you know, we haven't been getting the full picture, which to me is just funny in the sense that if you don't laugh, you cry. So like, not actually yeah, funny, totally. but just so interesting that, again, when we see the two sides of this debate, and I don't, I, I put debate in air quotes, because it's not actually a debate, climate change is real, wake up, grow up, get with it. But um, the fact that, you know, leading newspapers and media outlets essentially were not telling the whole story or um or saying flat out lies and yet you know we have this this one side of the debate these these what i would say you know ultra conservatives or they don't even have to be ultra conservatives these people who no. deny climate change and they right. say oh the media is corrupt the media is saying fake news and it's like you're right but on the wrong side side of the debate you know what i mean right. like, yeah they say yeah. we're lying about climate change now well in fact they were lying about climate change before yeah <laughs> now they are yeah. telling the truth and yeah. so that yeah. that like right. 1984 double speak i would love to watch a documentary just about the history of how the climate change climate crisis has been portrayed um in the media and kind of those yeah. major players you know the fossil fuels it would be interesting to kind of chase the money as it were to see okay who's funding these major news outlets um because at the end of the day um which i i'm sure we've talked about it on the show before but essentially my research right it's whoever pays the bill that's whose agenda ends up um on air mm -hmm. so all of that it wasn't again with only 45 minutes you can't really get into it but i could have watched a whole documentary another hour two hours just about that topic because when we think of sort of the now in 2020 when we think of oh the media is corrupt it's normally conservatives are saying that the media is like a leftist mouse mouthpiece yeah we hear that all the time yeah well in this documentary is saying it's actually the opposite yeah it's the you know these ultra conservative um like money hungry capitalists essentially <laughs> are the ones yeah. who have been dictating how the discourse about climate change and it goes to show the power of media maybe we wouldn't have so many climate change deniers if we were getting the whole story 20 years ago oh absolutely oh yeah absolutely i absolutely agree with you i i think that's 100 true and i think that it's just it's become such a part of the the narrative, uh, as you were saying, for for you know accusing the media of this, that, and the other. Where it's like, well, maybe if there was just some transparency a little while ago, we wouldn't have this this sort of debate going on. Um, and yeah. 
you know, like, what really gets me is that we get, like, it makes sense why billionaires want to, you know, want to deny climate change because their money is at stake, right? They're billionaires. Their their bread and butter is at risk. But when it's, like, Joe Schmo on the street, like, being like, oh, climate change is fake. What what do they have to gain by by believing this conspiracy? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know what you mean. I just don't think they have anything to gain at all. And I don't even think it's about that. I, it's again, if we really want to dive into this on this movie show, we can. I mean, I think it, it it's more to do with when when you have leaders who who are who present themselves with a certain level of confidence and a certain level of, of maybe there's things within them you admire, you want, some people want to follow. So it's easier to, to deny things when you have a leader denying something, when you have leaders denying something, you go, yeah, yeah, I'll go along with that. Even though it comes from the, don't just go along with what media tells you and don't, you know, don't become, don't become this person who just follows whatever being told, but then you just want someone to tell you what, how to think and what, what to feel. So to me, that's that's what it is. It's the random person on the street denying it is because they're part of something. They're part of denying climate change, and and it, it you know it's comforting for a lot of people to be part of a larger group and to be part of that group think. You I know, just, that's- I guess I just can't understand that frame of mind because just like socioeconomically. By acknowledging the climate climate crisis and by working to reverse it, the majority of people's lives will be better. So, so by like denying it, you're really just making your life worse in the long run. That's like I just don't understand. Well, the mentality. Taylor, you're, you're, you're kind of the problem. You're you're being logical, <laughs> and you're being reasonable. And you're thinking about other people. Right. I'm that's not, it. I'm I'm not doing me, 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 me. But uh, that, that's the end of my sentence. <laughs> like, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get our, a lot of, a lot of critiques for this episode. I already feel it. I was hey, going, you know. On. Remember, we're heading into our uh, our movie club. Mike, <laughs> so. Yeah, it's just it's just a warm up for all of the um, angry letters we're gonna get. I like I came in in like a frame of mind. I was gonna be very, you know, um, neutral. I was gonna stick to the facts as the documentary did. But I'm getting a little heated. I'm getting a little emotional because you know, mm-hmm. um, this next this election in the United States, um, it's a big deal and I try not to get wrapped up in American politics but American politics do does impact Canada as we're seeing with the pandemic you know um some people want you know the United States would like the border to open and a lot of Canadians say keep it closed so it really does American policies really do impact Canadians um and the documentary does talk about that right it does it's um we live in a, a a global society in the sense that what happens in one country has a ripple effect and the climate crisis and uh, COVID illustrate that, that, you know, how Americans react to the to COVID has ripple effects for the rest of the world and same with the climate change. So 
Yeah, I'm just getting I'm getting a little heated because I no, and hey, I I I appreciate that. And hey, again, you know, this is this is your platform, Taylor. Say whatever you'd like. Well, I, I try mean, not to get too political. You know that, Mike. I try. <laughs> yes, to- I know. I know you know. But but again, I think you you said something there that to 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 bring back in the film, like you said something there that that I really I believe too. The film presents the facts. This documentary, so Rebellion presents facts. It shows interviews, it talks about science, and that's what it's doing. That's what good documentaries should do, and that's what the power of film has. You, we, here's, a, here's a film that you and I watched, and it's created a conversation. And yes, you're going to get a little passionate, and you're going you're gonna to bring emotion into it, because the topics affect all of us. That's why I, I've never liked the term, it's a political topic. It's not. It's a social topic. It's a, it's a topic that, about our society. It's only made political because politicians want to make it part of their platforms because they know those on either end of the spectrum are going to rally behind you, even if you don't, as a politician, believe in it or not. Um, so I, I think that it's totally acceptable for anybody to to get riled up and get emotional and, and bring that in a part of it because we're talking about issues that are important. And this film do, did something that not a lot of films we've reviewed this year has. It made a point very strongly. It presented facts in a very just factual way. And it was well put together. It was well shot. It was well directed. It was well edited. It, it flowed very well. It was one of my favorite films that we've watched this year. And I'm not even saying that we're, our directors aren't even here. So I'm not just saying that to, to blow smoke. I'm, I'm saying that because I actually believe it. And I think that that's the power that film and art can have is to create these conversations, evoke emotion, and then maybe it means someone does something good like you, Taylor. You're using a platform that you have to hopefully reach people. Maybe some of our, you're right, maybe some of our listeners will come back and yell at us again, but maybe some of them will come back and say, wow, this was a great discussion. I'm glad this happened. You've you've made me think things. You never know, right? I um, I like how, how they were unapologetic, which, you, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you were referring to, is that sure. they made a point, and that's something... Um, that we don't necessarily always see in mainstream American film. There's always a lot no, of back. But sometimes we criticize it. I will say sometimes we criticize when someone comes out with a non-apologetic point and it's nonsensical. Right, we'll but in this sense, it was backed up. And I, and I yeah, also want to acknowledge that there's a lot of backpedaling in Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is nice where you see a documentary which is firm in its stance, unapologetic. Um, yeah, it's refreshing in a way. Um, and like you said, it, it technically, just from a technical standpoint, it was a well-crafted documentary. Yeah. So you can take or leave your politics, but you have to acknowledge it was a well-crafted documentary. But I also want to circle back to your other point. Um, I agree. The climate crisis is not a political issue in the sense that Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, NDP, whatever, um, it's real and I don't think you have to align with a party to acknowledge that it's real. And, and again, I, I couldn't agree with you. I know we're repeating ourselves, but I think these are the, the big points from watching it and from hoping to send people to watch it is it does craft this. I'm going to call it a story, even though it's all fact, but still it's, it's you're a narrative. Yeah, it's a narrative. You're you're crafting a narrative that that does touch on COVID, that does touch on climate change. It touches on a lot of actually different issues with within 
um, within race, within a lot of a things. A lot of things we've been things. talking about this year on the show. Yeah, yeah, in the US and Canada and all parts of the world, I, I just feel that this film was able to get that message across in a clearer way that sometimes, like you're saying, gets muddled and backpedals in a lot of other, when you're dealing with a large studio, when you're dealing with other factors, it seems to me, and I have watched um, several episodes um, on the nature of things. They're just, tell it as it is, tell the story, show us the narrative, bring the facts and, and let people like Mike and Taylor have a discussion about it. And that, to me, that's why for me, rebellion is a see it. Like that's my rating, giving it a see it because it's really worth it even just to see a documentary that's well-crafted, just like you said, Taylor, if you want to push that out of it, if, if, if you're just, maybe you're, you're just tired and exhausted, it's still a great craft. It's still a great film. So that's to me why it's a see it. And it's a low, um, low stakes when it's only 45 minutes. So give yeah. it a try. Uh, it's a see it for me too. But the, you know, at the end of the day, we're hungry for new media. And we've we've talked about this on the show in recent weeks. Um, you know, we're kind of running out of things to stream. Um, I'm going on YouTube to watch more stuff. So we're fortunate enough that um, we have a national broadcasting company um, where our, you know, our country sees fit, like our government um, believes in investing in the arts. And we are able to, whether or not you have cable, you're able to access this documentary, which I think is a, a wonderful thing. We could have a whole episode just about um, the funding model of media in Canada. And again, you know, there's mixed feelings about the CVC sometimes, but I think it's a beautiful thing that um, we have this kind of accessible media in our country that I can go on the CBC gem website or app and access this documentary without paying anything. Um, so the film is called rebellion. Um, it's debuting on the nature of things this Friday night. So you can get it at 9 PM Friday, November 6th on CBC. But as we mentioned, you can also get it on the CBC gem app. It's really simple and it's free. Um, we talked about this before in our last movie club, how easy it was to sign up for the CBC Gem app. It's free, lots of great content on there. So definitely don't miss Rebellion. Um, if you can't get it on, on CBC, uh, download the CBC Gem app uh, and stream along. So Taylor, uh, before we end uh, today's episode, um, we want to talk a little bit about our movie club that is starting next week. We announced that a few weeks ago, and then last week we announced the films. So coming up next week, we are in movie club mode again from November 10th to the first uh, Tuesday of December. So we've got four films coming up, all of which are interesting little pieces of uh, film, I would say, where they're, they're experimental films. They were selected by uh, you, Taylor, myself, and two special guests who we're bringing on next week um, should we should we just tease them or, or should we should we just talk about them uh, while they're not here? Um, like like make fun of them because yeah. they are not here right now, but we'll be yeah. here next week. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Um. So it's Tyler Vance of the formerly known Tyler Vance Memorial Movie Club. Um. As long as he can make it and isn't stuck in the TTC. 
Um, he's one of our... He might still be in the TTC, we're not sure. Yeah, he might be recording from the subway. We'll have some beautiful acoustics. Um, so he is one of our special uh, correspondents, normally for Star Trek. But, um, he will be on the the side of her smell. So he's picked, (laughs) um, so considering that he loves her smell, um... We're probably in for some real torture. And he picked a movie with Scarlett Johansson. So already um, he's in my bad books. Yeah, Tyler's going to kick off our, our uh, movie club next week with his selection. And you're right. He's a, he's a, he's a known Her Smell defender. Um, so he's going to bring his thoughts on experimental film. And yeah, he picked something that goes after uh, some of your dislikes as well. Yeah. And then... Um, I won't give too much away about my movie pick. I did try to pick one that I thought would be experimental, but accessible in a way, like a little bit more mm-hmm. mainstream. Um, yeah, um, I'd say I'd say so. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to have like experimental aspects, but also won't be completely alienating to our viewers, our listenership. Um, and then Nicole, my um best friend and former bridesmaid, as well as TIFF correspondent. She's also picked a movie and she um, has similar tastes to Tyler. So uh, we'll They're definitely more on the side of Nicole and Tyler watch and enjoy a lot more experimental films than say you and I do. Yes. So it's kind of like you and me versus Nicole and Tyler. But I anticipate some possible infighting even just between Nicole and Tyler. Well, that's what's going to be so interesting about bringing on guests for for the entire movie club. So just to kind of clarify for everybody, we're, we're inviting Nicole and Tyler every week. All four of us will be here starting next Tuesday talking about each of the four films that one of us have selected. So you're right. like You, you could get Tyler and, and Nicole disagreeing on something or, or, you know, being not liking what the other person selected. Like we have no idea that's, we're watching a lot of these for the first time as well. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see exactly what you're saying. Who, who is going to like which film and who's going to be kind of on that side. I'm pretty sure I'm always going to be on the side of not liking it, but I go in with an open mind. I'm ready. Do you think you're even going to hate the movie you picked? I don't know anything about the movie I picked. You do realize you picked a short film, right? I know. <laughs> Did I realize that after I picked it? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I I will admit coming into this, and th- this is a big, November is going to be a big month of, of uh, for me going outside of my comfort zone. I'm not as into experimental film. I've had a lot of bad experiences with a lot of terrible films, um, but I've heard from people like Nicole and, and Tyler that, um, there's a lot of great experimental films out there too. So I'm going into this not knowing anything. So when I picked my film, I had to do some research and I was just like, what's an experimental film on Netflix? And I saw that and I, I recognized the director, uh, actor in it, David Lynch. So I thought, Hey, I'll give that a shot. And then realized it was a 17 minute short film. <laughs> well, that it, it makes our homework easy that week. We'll have an off week that week. Yeah, like we'll be able <laughs> but yeah, to... That's, uh, <laughs> that's going to be really interesting. And uh, yeah, that, that'll be our film club kicking off next week. Experimental films. You can still sign up to join us. 
Go to screeningandkingston.com. You sign up by filling out the form there. Each week we'll send you a, a short little thing to send back to us. Just rate the film. We'll have some questions for you. But we want our fans to participate because we're not doing fan questions for the month of November. We want you to be able to participate if you're interested. And I know that uh, Tyler and Nicole want to hear your opinions too. We want to know, do you like the film? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Um, that's what I love about these movie clubs, Taylor. We're not always on the same page. Oh, I absolutely love the movie clubs. And um, yeah, I'm excited to hear everyone's comments. We should caution that uh, the fan questions have not ended. Um, we're just pausing them in order to right. make room for our reviews and our discussions. And we're hoping that people will kind of pivot to um, asking questions about the movies we're watching that week. But maybe, depending on how many people write in um, with unrelated questions, maybe we'll do another mailbag episode Absolutely. after um, our movie club. But I hope everyone signs up. Um, I hope everyone writes in at least once, if only to tell Tyler and Nicole that they're wrong and that yep. Mike and Taylor are right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> be on our side we're with you every week <laughs> yeah yeah so um we have to mike we have to show a strong united front agreed we need to cons maybe conspire a little bit before the episodes to make sure we're on the same page because i will not have tyler her small vance um win i i currently i i totally agree with you um I'm going in with an open mind, but I'm I'm biased towards Tyler. So yeah, let's uh, let's do this. Let's make sure that we we always are united in our thoughts uh, against the even if we don't agree. Let's just disagree yep. with whatever we say. Exactly. And <laughs> as much as I love Nicole, um, you know, she made me sit through Mother. So, um, <laughs> this is her punishment. Is um, me siding so with you. <laughs> Yeah, that's our uh, that's our film club. It's kicking off next week. Go to screeningandkingston.com and sign up. Remember, you don't have to be in Kingston to uh, sign up and, and enjoy this. We just hope that everyone will do what we're doing and expand and, and try some of these different films. All four of them are available on various uh, streaming apps, including CBC Gem is one of the films is, is there as well. So we hope that all of you will enjoy us. That does bring us to the end, though, of this week's episode. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. And thank you again to uh, Caitlin and Mark for, for such a great chat with us. Um, definitely check out Rebellion coming up this Friday. But again, you can get all seasons of The Nature of Things on the CBC Gem app. So go there as well. Thank you again, everyone. And we look forward to our movie club next week. Go stream some movies. Thank you for listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded at CFRC at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Queen's University sits on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee and Anishabi peoples. We would like to thank the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences and the CFRC Podcast Network.